good afternoon, good afternoon. The music that comes on every week, our intro is by our guest today, Michael Powers. I look forward to bringing him out. But first, thank you for joining in. I'm Dr. James Smith Jr. and welcome to the Dr. James Show. Like I said, we have Michael Powers with us. He's a, a jazz guitarist. He really brings it. And his music is our intro and our outro. We've never had a musician on before, never. And something tells me you're going to enjoy the next hour. So I'm gonna bring him out right now, Michael Powers. Michael, welcome to the Dr. James Show. How are you today? How are hey, you? Hey, Dr. James, how are you, man? Yeah, I think I heard a little bit of the music and then it went off, ironic. I know I know you play it every week, so <laughs> your, your normal people know that that's me. And it's a tune I, I wrote called Rough Jazz because, you know, we've had enough smooth jazz in the world. We need, <laughs> like Tina Turner says, now we're going to play it rough. Now rough, <laughs> rough. I was going to ask you what contributed, what was the inspiration behind that song? When I heard it the first time, I said, I love this. This is good. Do you remember the motivation, Rough Jazz? Yeah, I just was going for a nice, uh, funky kind of a groove. Uh, I always enjoyed, you know, uh, the, the music that James Brown did. Uh, Jeff Lorber had like some kind of cool funky jazz in that style. And I love all types of jazz. We went through a period there where jazz uh, almost got like a whole bunch of uh, hand sanitizer all over it and everything <laughs> became smooth and it all was smoothed out. And that's a part of jazz. There's an aspect of it that way, but this was a conscious decision to say, no, nah, no, nah, that's Ooh. cool, but here's the rough side. That's good. Here's that's the good. other side. You know, if you're down in the hood, this is what the jazz sounds like. <laughs> that's what I was jazz. talking about. <laughs> uh, based on my research, I've learned that a lot of musicians uh, played a role in you developing the Michael Powers sound. Uh, yes. Ray Charles. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Buffett. Who, who are they? Who are some of the... Some of the well, Jim, Jimi Hendrix yeah. is the one that made me want to pick up the guitar in the first place. Mm. And uh, and I, I saw the movie about the film about Jimi Hendrix. Uh, it was a documentary. And I had actually uh, fallen off of a skateboard. I was precocious. I, I graduated from high school when I was 15. And I hold thought... Up, hold, I was, up, hold up, hold up. Don't run through that stop sign. You okay. graduated from high school. At 15. Yeah, I was precocious, but uh, but I, I I thought I was brilliant, except I didn't know I couldn't get a job. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't I didn't check out that part. So that summer I really got into skateboards and I was skateboarding all around. I was in Berkeley, California at this time. Mm -hmm. And up in the hills of Berkeley, you get up there and you can you can make your way all the way down for a long time. Right. And I had a regular route I was doing, and I was, you know, I was pretty good at it. this before Tony Hawk and all that. Mess. <laughs> we're back. We're talking about way back in the day. Yeah. And and but this one day they were doing construction on my route, and I came around the corner and they had put gravel on the road. Ooh. And so Ooh. so the skateboard stopped and I kept going, flying through the air. And the first thing you do is put your hands out. Right. And and I landed and I broke my wrist. I got a severe break on my left wrist. Mm. And so I was in the cast and, and, and because it was severe, it had to stay in there an extra long time. And the whole forearm had kind of atrophied. And wow. be, uh, while I was in that, I saw the movie about Jimi Hendrix. Mm. I saw the film and I said, wow, I got a big Afro. I got some <laughs> bell bottoms. I, I could do that. And that, Wow. So I talked to the doctor and he said that would be the best therapy possible to build that muscle back up is to play the guitar and, and all that. So this is probably the strongest, this hand and this forearm is probably the strongest part of my body from all the years of playing guitar now. But that, so it was a real accident that I ended up even getting into music. Michael, uh, did, like did, you have a, did you have a teacher? Did you lear learn to play by going to music class? How did you 
well, did you get good? <laughs> like I, I wasn't I wasn't smart enough to do it while I was in high school. I did it after high school, so I missed out on all that education. Wow. But uh, but I had a good friend. His name is Michael Rollins, who could play kind of like Jimi Hendrix. And I just went over there and shook him until he showed me some stuff. <laughs> and and I took it from there. Um, and he uh, he got me going. I, I went from there. Uh, I kind of mastered that approach to the Jimi Hendrix sound. Then I got into Carlos Santana. Mm. Uh, and it was kind of the same energy with a little bit more kind of complexity. And then one day I was watching the Midnight Special with Wolfman Jack. And <laughs> Carlos Santana was on there. And they had a guy walk out with some big, huge guitar. And, and, and he said, he's going to play with me. And it was George Benson. And then they ooh, played Greasing. They played Greasing together. And I said, I don't know what that is, but I got to figure that out. What is going <laughs> on with that? And, and then I learned about his music. I learned about that he really learned his music from Wes Montgomery, who was kind of the ultimate grand godfather of, of jazz guitar. And, uh, and, and before him, Charlie Christian. Charlie Christian mm. is an interesting, notable character because he's he played in the first integrated big time jazz band with Benny Goodman. Wow! And that and they crossed that you know so he was like Jackie Robinson on guitar, you know, yeah. playing playing in that environment, people throwing stuff at him, spitting on him, and all that. The guy was amazing guitar mm. player. So mm. so I went all the way back to the source and you know learned about that stuff. Later on, I got influenced by what I call the studio musicians, the really great ones, like the LA guys like Larry Carlton, Lee Rittenauer, yes. and, uh, and, and, and those guys. I was inspired Tommy Tedesco. A lot of people don't know him, but he was probably the most recorded guitarist along with Howard Roberts. Those two guys, that Tommy Tedesco was in the Wrecking Crew, and the Wrecking Crew backed up all the big stars in the 60s in LA. They played the music behind them. You know, you'd see the monkeys playing, but they weren't playing the music. It was these guys who were actually oh, recording God. all this stuff. And and I got inspired by them because I wanted to be able to make a living playing guitar. And I'm not a singer. So I said, okay, the way to do that is the way these guys do. These studio musicians really learn your craft. And then as far as uh, school, then I got to where I was good enough to play in bands. I was playing what we called in Seattle, the Black Angus Circuit. That was a, <laughs> uh, a steak restaurant that, yes, that yes. had that had all of, you know, that's different than the Chitlin Circuit. It costs a little bit more money, right? <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> uh, but anyway, it, it, it was um, a series of places and clubs. I wasn't even old enough to get in. I was like, I had to wow. get in and play my gig. And then I had to go sit out in the lobby on the breaks because the, they were able to let me come in and play. Who, who taught you to bring your personality to the guitar? I, I've seen you live. I was smitten. I'm like, this guy is bringing it. Was that you just, I'm bringing Michael to my music? Or did someone say, Michael, bring that power to your, to your music? No, it's just, it's just a reflection of who I am. Mm. I'm the same guy on stage, off stage, at the golf course wherever uh, i've even become uh in lockdown and during the pandemic i have a side gig i i, I become the jazzy chef and, I, <laughs> and i'm cooking stuff and putting it on there on instagram and, and uh facebook and all that and yeah. i just love uh, i love life i'm uh, and and the personality and the music is a reflection of just me as who i am i think right. i've had i've had people though it's an interesting note that i've had people go yeah, man, that's a really great act. I really appreciate how you <laughs> act like you're having a good time. And I wow. said, no, man, that's no act. That's just who I am. I, I am so happy and blessed to be able to make a living playing music. Yeah. And, you know, it's the, 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 the worst day playing guitar is better than the best day digging a ditch or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and okay. you know, not, not, not to belittle or besmirch people sure. who are digging sure. ditches. We all need it, but I'm just saying I am really lucky and happy that I get to do this, and that comes out. Well, I I feel the same about my profession, speaking, getting paid to speak. And yes, 
when I saw you the first time 20 years ago, my, my client took me to a restaurant. They said they had jazz, but I didn't know who Michael Powers was. And I, after it was over, you were on my radar screen. I bought CDs. I believe I'm behind. I think you've done 15. I had like seven or eight, but you, you tore the place up. And I've been a fan ever since. You mentioned the pandemic. There's well, thank question. you. Yes. There's a question in the chat room. Uh, and I was going to go there, but let's go there now. You mentioned pandemic. Okay. The question is, have the events of the last 16 months, the pandemic, social justice matter, et cetera, affected your musical inspiration and creativity? Again, has what's going on over the last 16 months, pandemic, social justice matters have those events impacted your musical inspiration and your musical creativity certainly um well it, yeah it, i i've always thought that music and all art forms performing arts you know uh visual arts all that are really important parts of life but i found out that i was a non-essential last responder i was a right. last responder right. <laughs> you know and and so that was uh alarming really you know because uh to find out that you know uh it, it wasn't that important you know in, in the life i went from being michael powers to rodney dangerous <laughs> <laughs> but but i i i went within i knew that this too shall pass and I spent a lot of time and energy writing some new music, keeping sharp. I did a lot of virtual performances and I, uh, you know, and um, been really excited and ready and, and on right on the cutting edge when all this stuff opened up again, as it's starting to really trickle out now and it's, it's good. So yes, it did make me go back and start writing again. Um, for a long time, I wrote a lot of music. And do, you, then do you write I, all your music? No, I, I do covers because I, I'm, I, I do a lot of writing. I could write all my own music. Right. But I've, I see that the world is in what I call an American Idol mentality. And by that, I mean that have you ever seen anybody get on American Idol and do well doing original music? Very few, very seldom, seldom. Yeah. Very rare. Uh, and the reason is they want, when somebody first sees you, they want you, they want to know, okay, that's a Stevie Wonder song. Is he as good as Stevie Wonder? Not as good as, or better than, in my opinion, you know, whatever. Right. And so they, they use that as a frame of reference. And, and that's really permeated the art world so much that people want to have a frame of reference. So I started doing less writing. I, I, I think I first went for a whole cover record when I made a record called Cover to Cover. Ooh, and I have that one. <laughs> thank you. And, uh, and it's interesting to take of something that's well known and then put your perspective on it so people can, in a way, they actually get to know you better than from your original music because they can <laughs> see what you do differently. Could that be a risk? What's that? Could that be a risk? I'm, I'm hearing Simon says, I can't believe you took on that Whitney Houston song, or I can't believe no one sings it like Stevie. So could could that be a double-edged sword? Well, it could be a huge risk. Yeah, you 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 best not mess with uh, Aretha Franklin or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but <laughs> and some people have tried unsuccessfully. <laughs> no names being named. But uh, anyway. <laughs> There's, uh, it could be a huge risk. So you have to know to be able to do what you can do and stay in your lane. But also I think people can really get to know you because they can see where you're coming from relative to the original. So I do a mix uh, in, a, in a typical show these days, probably half and half, enough to make sure people get what, where I'm at and then, and then uh, others to let them know, hey, I can create my own stuff too. So it's the, it's a balance. It's uh, one of the great quotes I ever heard was uh, from uh, Carlos Santana. Mm. It was just very simple, very Zen-like. Uh, 
and uh, it, he said, a musician has two hands, one to feed himself and the other to feed the audience. Oh, oh, nice. And, and I think that really, really comes across and, and uh, would bode people well, really in anything, uh, arts certainly, but in business, you know, if you have a great product, but you know, why should I care about the product? You know, Michael, I want to be fed right now. I want to be fed. I want to feed our watchers and our listeners right now. Can, can you do a little, a little something, something? Oh, can sure. You, can, can you, can you yeah. feed us? And when I'll you finish, I want to talk about that guitar. That is a, that is a funky guitar. Want to talk about <laughs> that. Uh, you want to talk about it now or after I play? Af after I'm hungry. I want to be fed. Okay, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'll, I'll use that hand. I'll use that hand. Let's feed the audience while we're at it then. Um, speaking of uh, things that are good reference points and also in the times in the era that we're in, this tune was amazing when Marvin Gaye first did it. And it's amazing today because in some ways we're still wondering mm. what's going on.
you still bring it. You still bring it. Man, thank you. <laughs> when did you first realize that you were good, that you had something special, that you had a gift? Was it you're young, high school, when you start entertaining? When did you first realize, oh, I got something here? Well, like I said, I, I didn't start till after high school. So I got none of that. I, I think I got a musical proclivity by having uh, my mom worked um, night shift. Mm. And so I would come home from school and the TV was my babysitter. So I had to, I listened to all the commercial jingles and all the theme sh songs for all the TV shows and all that stuff got in my head. Um, and parents used to play you know, all kinds of good soul music on like the eight track tape, you know, yeah, in the so car. Eight track. <laughs> yeah, track. Uh, yeah, uh, for, for you millennials, uh, you can Google that. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, and they, uh, I got to hear a lot of great music. When I was a kid, I lived at the corner of Waller and Ashbury. Waller and Ashbury in San Francisco is one block from Hate Ashbury, Hate and Ashbury intersection. Mm. And I was about seven, and that was the summer of love. And so I would get on my Schwinn Stingray, and I'd run down to Golden Gate Park. It wasn't that far from there. And I heard all kinds of amazing music. You know, all of that San Francisco rock scene, Jefferson Airplane, Santana, all that stuff. And we had some musicians that lived next door. And they would make noise all the time. And my mom, it was a regular ritual. They'd make noise. My mom would call the police, the police would come, they'd chill out. This was like a regular thing, right? So anyway, years later, I realized that the guy who lived next door that was making all the noise was Jerry Garcia. Oh. oh. <laughs> I said, oh, that's that neighbor guy, that guy with the beard. <laughs> I didn't know, whatever, you know. So, so I, I, I think I got a lot of it by osmosis. Um, when I realized I'm good, I don't know. I think I'm decent. There's better musicians than me and worse musicians. I think I'm in the middle somewhere. Um, but I think it's not about good or not. It's about how much you can connect with people and how well you can communicate. And I know I do that well, like I said, on stage or off stage. And I'm using that as a tool, another way of kind of connecting with people. And I think that's ultimately my gift. I love it. I love it, Mike. When I do, when I teach presentation skills, I talk about audience engagement and you just nailed it. How you connect with people, with your gift, with your music. It's not just the data, it's building the connection. All right, here we Thank go. In the, in the chat room, love his energy. Before you broke your left wrist, what space were you in mentally as to what you wanted to do in life? So before you had that skateboard accident, what headspace were you in relative to what you wanted to do in life? I think, um, speaking of headspace, literally, um, one of the things I did to get out of high school early was I took a bunch of college courses at night, at extra at community college, because I was bored. And so I was really into studying psychology. Mm. And, uh, and so I thought, um, that was really interesting to me. And I literally, like somebody, when I was 14, I think, somebody asked me, what do you want for your birthday? I said, I want a, a subscription to Psychology Today magazine. And That's they, why they you graduated like from high school at 15. <laughs> yeah, they looked at it, I was like, he's a little crazy, but okay, we'll get him that. And, uh, and so uh, I, I think that the study of human behavior is still a big part of what I do because when I'm performing I'm connecting with the people and I'm looking and I'm reading and I you know I'm, I'm multitasking I'm playing and all that but I'm also like okay how's this where's that person coming from what what can I do to find something musically something that's a bridge between us that's good that is good chat room I heard a statement recently when it comes to guitar playing your left hand shows what you know, and your right hand shows who you are. Again, I heard a statement recently when it comes to guitar playing, your left hand shows what you know, 
and your right hand shows who you are. Thoughts about that, Michael? I, I don't necessarily agree, but there is this whole thing about left brain, right brain. And so maybe this is kind of a, a, an extension or a manifestation of getting the, um, the intuitive side of your, of your creativity involved and then the logical side. And that's kind of the, the whole thing that I went through when I already had learned how to play music by ear. And then I went to college and I learned what to call it, mm. how to define it, how to categorize it, how to work with it from there. And so I guess in a way that's that right hand, left hand thing. But the hardest thing about playing guitar is to get your right hand and the left hand to play at the exact same instant. You know, that you're, you're, one of them would want to jump ahead. And that's really getting the right brain and left brain to create a balance. And, and so I guess both of those statements are true as long as they happen at the same time. Yes. And as speakers, we have to speak to both the left brain and the right brain of our listeners, and we have to yeah. have the same balance. Too right. much data without stories, too much facts without anecdotes and metaphors. So I, I see, I call it also play-by-play -play and color. The person who's doing the game, here's the play-by-play -play and here's the color to reinforce what's happening exactly. out, out there. Exactly. Yeah, Someone you want to know, know that somebody has played the game when you're getting that color commentator, you want that direct experience. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's good. Someone else in the chat room said, oh my gosh, I'm slaying. This is a concert style performance. I gotta breathe. <laughs> good breathe stuff. Breathe in, breathe out, and go to michaelpowersmusic.com. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Chat room, another question. Michael, what's your feedback to a young musician wanting to be a professional and making a name for him or herself as a musician. So I guess they're looking for, for, for some wisdom, some words of, of thought relative to young person starting out, male, female. Uh, what's your, some words of wisdom, some thoughts for them to consider? Well, I have a couple. Mm -hmm. One is, and this is something I was looking for when I was considering doing music. Um, and I've read an article and that's a standard kind of thing that people ask artists, you know, what, how would you inspire young people that are, want, that are seeking to do what you do? Um, and I read an article with the wonderful, uh, recently passed away, uh, great jazz pianist, Chick Corea. Yes. Chick Corea is one of the best. And, um, they asked him that question and he gave a, what I thought was a really weird and odd question uh, answer. But now that I've lived the life, I totally get what he is saying. So I'm going to say what he said and then do some additions. He said, and I said, what the heck? He said, I wouldn't tell him anything because if they're going to make it at this level, nothing I do or say is going to encourage or dissuade them mm. that being able to do this music is like breathing they can't survive without it so just breathe wow. and be who you are and that that sounds weird right it's almost like he's kind of putting them off but the point is is that just be authentic and be in it and then i'll add from my own personal taste uh is you know don't take no for an answer if there's if there's um if there's a will there's a way it's easy to say that and you get a lot of no but if you just find a crack of a little bit of uh just a, a maybe even you can get yourself and maneuver around those people there are people there are there there's the, the artists and then there's the audience and this is true with business too but there's and then there's a whole bunch of people in the middle who are like the gatekeepers who are trying to keep you out. Mm. Mm. And, uh, and it's their job. And maybe they're mad they're not the artist. Who knows? You know? Uh, and so you have to be sensitive to where they're coming from. And maybe they're upset that they didn't get to do it. But also make sure that you figure out a way to get a direct line between you and that audience 
and without that filter in the way. And so that's what's been great about the technology. You know, people can put something on YouTube and people can react to it. And they didn't have to wait for so-and-so at the New York Times to, you know, to deem that they're okay and, and right. give them that thing. You know, and, and it's it's made things more open, the technology in a lot of ways. Uh, and they don't have to wait for a record company to, you know, decide to spend, you know, 20, 30, $50,000 on recording them, put it out. You can get a laptop and you can start making music right now. You saw what happened with uh, um, Billie Eilish. Her and her brother made those records in, in their uh, parents, you know, in their bedroom at their parents' house. And they're good sounding records, you know. So the technology is not, and the access is not the barrier. Focus on you, focus on creating your sound and uh, get influenced by everybody you can. You can't sound exactly like them. So take what you can and then that blend that you come up with will be you. I, I love it, creating your own sound, the blend, the blend. Michael, where do you play? Do you have a band? Do you go solo? I, I do all of the above, pretty much whatever they'll pay for. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I uh, play concerts, uh, corporate events, festivals. Um, I, I'm in Arizona today. I'm flying back up to Seattle to home to uh, play uh, a bunch of shows uh, this weekend for Juneteenth mm. uh, celebrations. And, uh, and for Father's Day, I'm doing a concert down in Lakewood, uh, down the Tacoma area, south of Seattle all of that. Um, and then I'm fly flying back to Arizona to play a show. And then I'm flying to Colorado to play a private party. I've played all over the planet. Wherever somebody wants me, I'll come. So get a hold of me if you want me to come do something for you. Um, and uh, I'll even make you one of those little cameo jingles where I'll play and, and I love say it. hi to you. On my birthday, I get my Michael Powers jingle. That's I love right. It. I love yeah. it. I'm always trying to update and do that. Michael, what's the uh, story? And so they, they can go to my website and I have a concert calendar at michaelpowersmusic.com. And it's important always to go to my website and figure out where I'm playing, even if you don't like what I'm doing. So you won't accidentally end up where I'm playing one day. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's your most memorable musical moment? Do you have one? A most memorable it was amazing since I explained to you that I got um, inspired by Jimi Hendrix to uh, have a few different connections along the way to Jimi. Um, I was playing in Seattle and we were playing some Jimi Hendrix tune and this nice older, older black gentleman came in and he sat down, had a beer and we were just rocking it, you know, going that way. And um, he started crying. Mm. And I said, wow, hey, what's going on? And they said, that's Jimi Hendrix's dad. And, he, and I went over to him and introduced myself and said, hello. And he said, yeah, you just reminded me of my boy. And, I, and that was praise. That was honor. Mm. On the other hand, I got to go tour in Europe with uh, the great Dr. Lonnie Smith, the jazz, the Hammond B3 organist. And I got to be part of his band. He was in the first band that George Benson had. And they won all the downbeat pole winning, uh, you know, award of jazz band of the year and such. And so basically he had me playing some of that music with him. And so I was kind of sitting in George Benson's chair in a way, which wow. that's big, that's a big uh, chair to sit in. And we played at a place called Ronnie Scott's. Ronnie Scott's is the premier jazz club in Europe. It's kind of like the Village Vanguard or the mm -hmm. Blue Note New York or whatever, whatever one you could think of. And <clears throat> amazing history, you know, everybody from John Coltrane to Charlie Parker to Van Morrison to members of the Rolling Stones, whoever have played there. And it's in uh, Soho. It's kind of like their version of Times Square. And I'm playing there. And then somebody realized, uh, somebody reminded me that this stage was the last place on earth that Jimi Hendrix played. He went into there, uh, Eric Burden and War was playing. 
and he went and sat in with them. There's a kind of a cool recording of it out there in the internet of them playing Tobacco Road, the old uh, uh, tune that, uh, of course, uh, Lou Ross did and made mm -hmm. famous. Um, and he played, and then he went home, and he had problems with uh, suffocating and died. So I got to stand on the last stage. I got to play for his dad, and then I got to stand on the stage and play and be accepted professionally at that time. At, you know, in the same last place he played. So that, that those are two interesting moments, I think. Wow, 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 wow. Speaking of moments, I was going to hold it off a little bit, but I'm in a mo I'm in a mood right now. I want to be fed again. You got something else? Oh, for okay. Me? You got something else for us? You ready for some more music? Um, <laughs> I'm more than ready. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I've been talking about having some things that are. Um, original and some that are known. Uh, this one is kind of a hybrid. Uh, I, I, that tune I played you earlier is on my soul CD. I did a history of soul music. And of course, Marvin Gaye figures heavily in that. This one is from my blues CD, blues that you can use. Yes. And on this, on this track, I uh, kind of go back to a, a cool experience I had when I uh, was just learning, uh, I had, uh, that they're still in Berkeley, California. B.B. Uh, uh, King came to town and he was mm. playing concert and they gave him the key to the city and they made it B.B. King Day in Berkeley, California because Berkeley was kind of like that. And um, one of the things that he did as part of it was to come and to do a little workshop in the community. And they said, you know, guitar clinic with bb king well they advertised the, the concert it was sold out and the thing with the mayor was a big deal somehow they didn't advertise the thing that much and i only knew because it was at a library down the street from my house and i happened to see the notice so i said okay i'll go i got there it was me and bb king nobody <laughs> else came and i had i had like a little pawn shop guitar i had and he had lucille he was like young man what do you want to learn and i was like <laughs> <laughs> uh, i was like ah, i want to i want to play like like bb king and, <laughs> good answer and like, good well, answer well <laughs> i said one day i'm gonna get a nice guitar like lucille and he was like uh well let me show you something young man and he picked up my little piece of guitar and he picked it up and he went <laughs> said whoa it's not the guitar <laughs> he sounded the same on lucille and my little piece of guitar it didn't matter and so later i was thinking about that experience and i wrote a song in, in tribute to him his most famous song is the thrill is gone but as you can tell i'm kind of a half glasses half full kind of person and so my song that i wrote in that style is called the thrill is back Thank you. 
bring it you bring it you bring it hey listen if you want more of michael go to his website or go to youtube it's a ton of videos of michael doing his thing on youtube check it out he had the blue shirt on the vest and he's you'll see yeah you'll yeah see. the lot i think you're referring to the live at the more theater recording yes but when you're when you're googling there is another michael powers that does nothing but blues and he's in new york so look for the Seattle Michael Powers, not the, the, the New York. He's in New York. He's great, though. He, he does good work. But I've had a couple of people go, man, you look different. I looked you up and uh, you had a different look. Anyway. <laughs> and, well, now, now you guys see why we start the show with Michael's music and we end it. He gave us um, an opportunity to do that. And um, I'm always going to champion his cause. He's a phenomenal musician. Mike, we have some questions in the, in the chat room. Okay. What's three important things a professional musician and performer must do? You did mention connecting with your audience as one. So musician, three important things professional musicians must do. You mentioned one, the connecting. Do you have two more? Oh, I got three more, actually. Okay. Uh, but uh, what, here's the thing. It's, it's we, the first word you said in that was a professional musician. Mm. So this is a professional person I'm going to talk about. This would apply to any profession. Okay. It's very simple. The, the key to success is to say what you're going to do. In my case, I say, I'm going to play this concert. I'm going to play this music. I set, I set that up. Then do what you said you were going to do. It's that simple. Uh, that's two things. And the third one is say please and thank you. Have manners. Be a good person. 
If you do those three things, you can be successful at anything. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I agree. Thank you. Someone else says music feeds the soul. In this day and age that we are living in, music is proving to be a key component that we can really all relate to. Thank you for sharing your gifts. All right. Thank you. We got some more. I see a whole bunch of hands clapping and oh my goodness. <laughs> they, they love, they love music. Uh, what experience changed your life from wanting to do music for a living to now you're actually doing music for real for a living? Again, what experience changed your life from wanting to do music for a living to now you're actually doing music for real for a living? Hey, just uh, getting a gig <laughs> and playing the gig and cashing the check and the check didn't bounce. <laughs> I was like, this is all right. I could do this. But um, I think I think that uh, there's a, there is a, a dichotomy between art and commerce. Art for art's sake and then being able to actually sell it. Right. in some way and you know you get into all kinds of philosophical breakdowns and discussions about whether somebody's selling out to do their art or whatever that's a whole nother thing but the point here is i heard the best explanation like i mentioned earlier carlos santana some of these great elders have been there done it and figured it out count basie he said that you know, it, he toured the world in a time that he would go to the biggest ballroom in a city, sell it out in a hotel, and then when they finished, they had to leave because black people couldn't stay there; mm -hmm. they were not welcome. So they had to go to some place on the other side of town, and you know, live in substandard situations. So in other words, go play for the king, and then turn around and you know. You're, you're now uh, asking for another portion, like in uh, Oliver or something. And, <laughs> and so a lot of times, it, those guys just said, forget that. I'll just get back on the bus. I'd rather ha have control over my, my situation on my bus and just keep going. I don't even want to stay in this town then. You know? And so there's a lot of infrastructure in, in anybody being able to do what they do for a living. You know, the, the, there's the whole day of getting ready. I always say to people, and he said, he said, this is how I separate the art part and the commerce part and being able to still have the joy in the art part and not be all bogged down in the selling part. He said, look, I play two hours a night. When I'm on stage for those two hours, I'm playing for free. But you're paying me for the other 22 hours a day that it is necessary for me to get ready to get there, mm. getting back on that bus, traveling, mm. rehearsing, mm. doing whatever I need to do to be in that position to be able to deliver at that moment. And when I realized that I could actually get paid doing what I'm doing, but also still retain the joy by separating those two, that by, by the time I actually start playing music, I'm not thinking about any of that. I'm in the moment, I'm playing that music. And, I, and I, when I did that, that's when I knew I could have a long sustainable career. I've been making a full-time uh, career doing this since 1985. Wow. I've been blessed to do that. This past 16th months, that's, that was something else. Luckily I was the kind of person that would put something away for a rainy day. I didn't realize rainy day would be, you know, almost two years long. But, but still, I was blessed and lucky to be able to be in that position. And I feel for people that weren't, you know, they're living more month to month and stuff. And so I've been doing everything I can that way. If I can go play some kind of a benefit for somebody or help out when I can, I've done a lot of virtual shows and all that kind of thing. Um, Mike, Michael, you told me years ago that one of your goals was to play halftime at a Super Bowl. Is that still yep. one of your goals? Sure. Yeah, that'd be great. 
or even just the national anthem. I do a good anthem. I've, my winning percentage is 800 when the home team wins when I play. Nice. I play for the Mariners, the Seattle Supersonics, uh, uh, for the Seattle Seahawks. I don't know why they didn't send me that last Super Bowl. I don't know what's That's wrong right. With that. That's right. They gave they got the throw the ball. That's awesome. That's awesome. And unfortunately, we're going to end it there. When I met you, I said, that's the type of guy I want to get to know. Because your music, hey. your music spoke to my heart. It really did. And it Thank made you. for a very successful business trip after that. We need what we need to do is now that the world is opening up, we need to take this on the road, me and you. Jazz and jazz. I'll, jazz I'll and play. jazz. Yeah, I'll play. You do yours, and the people will come away you know like that incredibly energized so let's done. let's make that happen done my initials are jas so jazz and jazz we did it once before in seattle we did a book signing yeah. jazz and jazz so we will yeah listen folks i hope you enjoyed michael powers i hope you not i hope you i encourage you to go to his website to get his music and when you come back and watch our show you know that his music gets us started and concludes on a very, very up-tempo note. Michael, thank you for being on the show. We'll see you next week. I want to say you've just been gym-packed, but something tells me you just got the power. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.